that brings me back to old memories from when I was a child, programming away at my Atari. And then it was time to go to bed, and Mom would be like, unplug that thing and go to bed. But Mom, it won't save. It doesn't have any permanent memory. That's okay, just unplug it. But Mom, it'll catch on fire overnight if you don't unplug it. Unplug it and go to bed. Okay. <sighs> there goes three hours. This is Control Structure, episode 104, for March 22nd, 2016. Big week to everyone listening. This show has notes. Visit thenexus.tv slash cs104 to see them. I'm Stephen Orvis, and with me is the other host, Andrew Bailey. You might remember me from such shows as The Cooking Show. Which happened about one year ago. Yes, and, um, strange things. Um, you know how sometimes jokes turn out to be reality? Um, because that's happened with the cooking show. It, it's actually come back this year and you've cooked for us tonight on your grill. Or, or the grilling show, to be more specific. Grilling is a form of cooking, I guess. Yeah, um, you might want to speak up a little bit. I'll move closer to the Microsoft, how about that? That would be fantastic. So, um, yeah, I'm all moved into my new place. So, uh, it was last Friday that I went back to the old place for the last time, uh, went through, and apparently I had some milk left in the freezer. You keep your milk in the freezer? Uh, apparently Chris put my milk in the freezer, uh, because he was supposed to take it over here, but somehow we forgot it was there. Uh, thankfully, it didn't burst or anything, so, uh, and the electricity stayed on, so uh, we're good there. And also got the toilet plunger. Never know when you might need that thing. Yeah, and when you need it, there is really no replacement. That's true. <laughs> and then I gave the key back, so uh, I guess that means I live here now. I... Yes, it does. Even though there's a voice in the back of my head that goes, Dude, this is a really nice hotel. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was uh, not last Saturday. It was a Saturday before that uh, my parents, Matt and Chris, came over and helped me move out. And uh, they were, you know, easily adaptable to work. As in, like, scrubbing the old place down? You know, just for a second, when you said your parents, Matt and Chris, came over, I was processing in my mind Matt and Chris, Andrew's parents. <laughs> it took me just a minute. Matt and Chris and my parents. Okay, I understood it after the initial one, but just the first a little bit okay. confused okay. me. Okay. I'm good now, though. Okay, um, Chris would have gone with that. Just, like, took that and ran with it. You just kind of dropped it. I just <laughs> dropped it. I'm just not Chrisist. Yes, thankfully. Um, so, uh, they came over and, you know, helped me move and clean out and everything. And, uh, grilled for them. Uh, so, and everyone was appreciative. So, then we took the U-Haul back. And, you know, dropped the key off. And where's my phone? In the U-Haul, of course. Yeah, that took about three days to fix. 
Really? Yeah. Because, you know, I dropped off the key and it was locked. Oh, so there's not, like, people at the place where you can go and just, like, knock on the door? Yeah. So, even though the lady said that she would be open until, like, 7, this was 6.30 and, like, no one's there. Oh, that's nice. So, uh, I dropped by uh, Sunday morning, uh, Sunday at about 1 o'clock. Then I dropped by Monday at about noon, at which point there is a sign on the door that said, we'll be back at 1, and a phone number, which is the first time I've ever seen any of those things on the door. So someone at least must be there at that point in time. So, and then I came back at, I don't know, like 6 or so, which the sign still said, we'll be back at 1. <laughs> Apparently not. Oh, 1 a.m. No, it said 1 p.m. specifically. So I'm I'm like, okay, well, let's analyze this. It's pretty obvious that she's there in the morning mm. because, uh, like, that sign appeared, you know, between the afternoon and, like, the noon of the next day. Yes. And if you're not open at 1 p.m. on a Sunday, you're probably not going to be open on Sunday. Okay. So uh, then when I picked up the U-Haul, it was about 1130 Ah, so in the morning, he picked it up in the morning. So I'm like, okay, well, she's probably there in the morning. Uh, so I came by at, I think, 11 or so the next morning. Still the same sign in the window. What? <laughs> and closed. They took your phone and ran. So, and, you know, I painstakingly researched any kind of phone number on the internet, and I was calling it, like, just about around as many times. You didn't call the phone number that was posted on the door? There was, I did call that after it was posted, but all of them went to voicemail. Okay. So I remember seeing a email address on the Facebook page of this establishment or this non-establishment. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I have been by like two times every day trying to get my phone and you are not open. (laughs) Is there some time we can meet? (laughs) And... Like, within an hour, I had my phone back. Nice. So what the most interesting question is, how on earth did you ever rent it in the first place? So I was originally supposed to pick it up at another place, but U-Haul apparently transferred me to this other uh-huh. place. Okay, so you didn't arrange the initial details of this yes. place. And... Okay. Yes, because uh, I was supposed to pick it up at a gas station, so we went there to pick up the U-Haul. Then we went to the other place to actually pick up the U-Haul. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, that was uh, an adventure. Um, So, yeah, I guess at some point I will definitely have to get around to encrypting my phone. Yeah, that's a good thing. I've been kind of delaying encrypting mine because I have it uh, rooted in a bunch of other programs and stuff on another SSD, on my SD card, because it all won't fit on the internal memory. So I'm a little bit leery about what happens when I encrypt everything and it uses magic to connect everything. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it'll have to use some more magic. Maybe. Uh, so uh, hopefully the next version of Ubuntu will come out shortly. So I will install that on my uh, personal laptop and finally pull the trigger on doing the uh, full disk encryption on that. And then... At some point, I will upgrade my desktop to Windows 10, in which case I will probably encrypt that too. There you go, encrypt your whole life. 
So, um, which uh, unfortunately didn't put it on here. But uh, apparently, uh, Windows 7 and 8 have been, when apparently like overnight, been upgrading to Windows 10 just automatically. Oh, really? Yeah. That is nasty. Yeah. Without permission. Pretty much. Microsoft wants to push it on you so bad. Yeah. What is the deal? There is something they really, really want from people. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you know what else is going on? Apparently we're popular. Um, So hello to new listeners. Um, If you're listening, I hope you are. We're now famous. We do autographs for $20 a piece. Okay, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, So recently found out that uh, it might have been around the episode on the 24th of February. I believe it was the Obsolete Installers. Uh, episode, uh, no, it was housing as a service. Sorry. Um, apparently there was a spike in downloads then. So So it wasn't just you testing out your new internet to see how fast it was. I'm pretty sure it was not me because, you know, I'm conscious of like bandwidth costs and stuff. So, um, yeah, I got it. It must've been us talking about guns and bullets and the banter because people love guns and that just like guns sell good right now so that's probably what it was maybe so uh yeah let's move on to maybe a little bit more sad news uh andy grove uh, one of the co-founders of intel has died so uh from what i understand he was uh like the engineering uh person behind intel when they first started i mean interesting kind of to hear a story of what he did when he started well, I mean, even even before that, apparently he was born in uh, Budapest, like uh, in Hungary, over in like Eastern Europe. Okay. Uh, and apparently the Nazis swept through, which posed a problem because he's Jewish. That would be a problem. So uh, apparently he like moved around, and uh, by like 1957, he uh, had immigrated to the U.S. So, uh, then from there he began to study, like, chemical engineering and electrical engineering, uh, found his way out into, uh, California, uh, I think he got hired at, uh, Fairchild Semiconductor, which is kind of like the great-grandfather of, like, all the, uh, uh, like, silicon fabs and, uh, like, you know, silicon hardware in California, so, and then... At some point, Fairchild kind of went under, and then, you know, Intel got founded, and he was, like, one of the three guys who did so. And apparently he was, like, their president for quite a while during the 80s and 90s. So, yeah, uh, it seems like without him, uh, Intel would not be the company it was. Sounds like he was the the brains, technology-wise. yeah. Uh, he wasn't necessarily one of the business guys, but, you know, he was, you know, feet on the ground, uh, guy that got things done. So, yep, guess, uh, the world won't quite be the same without him. Another thing that happened, uh, let's go into something a little bit more cheerful. Uh, the Games Developer Conference, uh, happened in the past week or so. And, uh, speaking about, you know, uh, Grove, you know, Andy Grove being president of Intel during the 90s, uh, another thing happened during the 90s, uh, Diablo. 
like this uh, dungeon hack and slash, I guess, RPG that uh, uh, apparently the original design document from like 1994 has been released, which uh, you know kind of describes the game pretty well, but I should say it kind of leaves out the part where it's addictive. <laughs> you know, uh, granted, it ha- you know it describes that you know this game is supposed to have like a very dark feel to it. It says it's supposed to have infinite pre- playability since every time you run it, it randomly generates new levels with new dungeon stuff and all different things can happen. So you could just play this for your whole life and just something new and different happens every time you play. Well, maybe on the high level. The low level mechanics stay the same though. So, you know, there's that. Um, every so often there will be like some kind of quest. Uh, like for, for instance, uh, there is the Butcher which um, is a kind of uh, bloody person. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like uh, here in the here in the design doc, it says the world of Diablo will have a dark, evil tone. Initial levels will be set in an abandoned goth- gothic church, a marble mausoleum, and cr- pr- progressively darker, dingier crypts and catacombs follow. Deeper natural cave formations lead to a super lead to supernatural demonic halls, and finally to the opulent chambers of Diablo himself. So, uh, another thing about this is that uh, you are literally fighting demons, and like the main guy, like I don't think it, it's described here, but apparently the lore states that Diablo was so bad he got kicked out of hell. And so now he's in the dungeon thing? Yeah, he's, like, doing his own thing. Okay. Uh, so... Uh, let's see. So, yeah, it kind of follows along with the semi-satanic themes of some games of the 1990s. Uh, like, you know, if you recall, Doom is, you know, you literally fighting demons and stuff from hell. So, you know, they're like, okay, well, let's uh, take the demonic theme a little bit further here. So, but, uh, yeah, I remember playing Diablo, like, 15 years ago, and I'm pretty sure I made it almost to the end when I decided, you know, okay, it's time to do something else now. But, uh, yeah, I remember being... you never actually beat the uh, final character. So, but that's okay, because, uh, apparently the Internet Archive has the, uh, ISO of the disc that you can just download and play. Uh, and you don't need any kind of CD key for it. So I, let's see, it was uh, yesterday evening, I fired up 20th Century for the first time at new, my new place and uh, played a few levels of Diablo. Nice. So Nothing yeah. like playing it in the hardware it's meant to be played on. Yes, with the CRT and the ball mouse and Windows 98. You got the beautiful buzz when you turn the monitor on, it goes, and then it turns on, it like shakes a little bit, and then it stabilizes, and you well, clean well, the lint out. Well, well, the image anyway, not the monitor itself. The monitor sometimes shake. Uh, it's like this like snap back in there, it kind of like... Well, okay, the, the relay, but... Uh, Anyways, we had one go bad once. Every time you, you we turn yellow, so the fix was to give it a short whack on the top of the monitor, <laughs> and then it kind of would work a little bit, but it would get lines in it. So you whack it a few more times, and it would kind of start working till next time. <laughs> so, um, 
Randall Monroe, if you recall from uh, the XKCD thing explainer, uh, apparently the uh, company that published his book apparently publishes a lot of textbooks also for schools. And uh, apparently he's like signed some kind of deal where he is going to put some of his stuff into high school textbooks. So, uh, which I think is a very uh, novel way of uh, using the same material. Yeah, I think it's good. Uh, he obviously has the gift for capturing people's attention, and he's also very enthusiastic about sharing knowledge and explaining things to people. His thing book was a great example of that. So I think it's a great fit for him, and uh, I'm glad that uh, he's finding a... Pre- I'm not, I am want to put it in a bad way... Uh, like, writing webcomics, I'm sure, was a hobby for him. And eventually, obviously, he probably gets good ad money. Well, actually, no, he not ad ads. Money. He doesn't do ads. Okay. He just, you know, lives off of things from his store. Okay. So, uh, but... I, I guess I was, was going for... It's hard for artists to make money sometimes, even though they may be really good at what they do. And this is a... People recognizing he has extreme talent and is worth worth uh, having him do things for them, I guess. Raspberry? 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 Raspberry! Do you have neighbors? Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> okay, so apparently Western Digital wants to get in on this whole Raspberry Pi thing, so they have made a 314 gigabyte hard drive tuned for the Raspberry Pi. Currently, among uh, the things they suggest you might do with it is, uh, as a media player or perhaps a NAS, they think this would make a great place to store your big video files and other random places and things on the 314 gigabytes. So, uh, you know, like Raspberry Pis have been, you know, how should I say, not researched, but uh, have been... uh, maybe experimented with uh, for uh, you know any kind of media player use you know like any kind of small computer around a house or something it, it's great for like a, a media player like this is a good fit depending on how it connects it's a great fit uh, the NAS server like I've been thinking about how you could do a small cheap NAS server in Raspberry Pi it has crossed my mind but not with 300 of 14 gigabytes. You need big and you need fast. And that's kind of the conclusion I was coming down to. Is like, well, how are you going to interface with the hard drive? Well, kind of your option is USB 2.0. <coughs> and that kind of is a bad option. Well, and then it only has fast Ethernet. Yes, that is true too. So, uh, speaking of which, do you just hate it when your gigabit Ethernet decides it's going to be fast instead? That typically isn't a problem. I take it you have problems with that? Yes. So, in my new place here, you might see an Ethernet cord running along the uh, floor, like the corner of the floor, uh, going down to my basement where the router is. So, it seems that it has a short sort of near this end of the cable. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I move it, it might decide to be fast instead. Okay. I've, I've had those USB cables where they would just cut out, and so you get to the place where you just say, it twists it in just the perfect way that it works. Don't touch it! So, uh, it looks like I might have to buy some kind of Ethernet crimper 
to like you know cut off a little bit of the cable and then and like tip it again. Yeah. So which I don't exactly have any of the equipment to do that. I might have the equipment to do it to like phone cords, but like that's so nineties, right? I mean the the tipper tool itself is probably just a crimper. It's possible that it may fit the jack. Yeah, it's. Tips. I'm. I'm pretty sure it's a six connector crimper instead of an eight connector okay. crimper. So, yeah. Have I been owned? Uh, is a question that you might have wondered. Uh, with every little, not every little, every big database dump of passwords. So, uh, someone has kindfully, uh, created a website where you can punch in your email address and it will search all of the, uh, leaked databases to see if you are in them. Which I believe mine has. So the only thing that I kind of felt bad about was now you're trusting this website with your email address. Presumably legit though, because it looks so pretty and has no ads, so it must be legit. <laughs> But, uh, let's see, I think there is a literal, yeah, Troy Hunt, which is someone we've actually talked about before. So, I mean, it seems like this guy is fairly trustworthy. So, I mean, at worst, it's your email address, you'll get spammed. Yes, but I never I mean, like, your, this... ident your identity has already been stolen by this point. At, at this point, yes. See, the, I did try one of my throwaway email addresses, uh, somewhat secret throwaway email addresses, and it didn't come up with anything. I haven't tried my real, real email address that I never give anyone anymore. I used to when I was a kid, and I bought my own domain name, and I have not given up my real one since, more or less. Oh, uh -oh. Adobe 2. Yeah. See, that's apparently that Adobe one was a big deal. Yeah, the big one in October 2013. 2013. So apparently I signed up for an Adobe account way before then. Because I never give out my email address to anyone. Be interesting to go back, though, and see if I actually have a registration from Adobe in my email. Because, I don't know, it's weird for me to give away my email address. So, um, this guy reports that as more breaches happen that uh, he will be updating this. That, that's a great concept. I saw there's a way you could subscribe, I think, and get, like, notifications. So if something happens, uh, you can at least know that something happened. Yeah. So that uh, is a sort of valuable tool there. That is. So uh, speaking about vulnerabilities and breaches and stuff, DDR3... Uh, was vulnerable to a particular bit-flipping bug called Rowhammer. It's basically a way to flip bits in memory by accessing memory near the target address. So, in other words, you know, you're trying to, like, beat down the door of, you know, like, beat down the walls between memory cells, it seems like. I, I got the feeling, like, it was almost like flipping the bits and it's like something electronically is failing in the hardware when you just pound it. Yeah. So hard. So it turns out that several DDR4 modules are vulnerable to this too. So, you know, a particular bit pattern that is just repeatedly uh, put into this memory address that, like, some kind of charge physically leaks out and into the next cell to flip the bit in that cell. Um, what kind of crazy thing about this is they made the point that you could do this with uh, JavaScript. 
because it just amounts to stuffing stuff into memory. Yeah. So if it's just uh, stuffing things into memory, you could, uh, in theory, do it. I, it was interesting. It mentioned how uh, Google, some people from them, had figured out ways to uh, get a application that was untrusted to be trusted by flipping the bits. Or I think they did said they had a sandboxed application as well that they made it so that it was no longer sandboxed just by uh, making the bits flipped. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting. This is this is hacking on a totally different level. This isn't a bug in the software. This is just plain you're interacting with the hardware and you're going past the norm and exploiting it. It's uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, I forget. I think it might have been G-Skill, uh, like G's, the G-Skill modules that yes. they uh, uh, were working with found out that uh, those weren't vulnerable. That's good to know. I think I actually may have some of those in my laptop. Maybe. Uh, yes, I do. So good. my laptop is apparently safe. But is that DDR3 or 4? Probably 3. Probably 3. So, um, like, I didn't exactly read up on the DDR3 flavor of this, but who knows? It uh, might be uh, endemic to that particular manufacturer. So so let's go into something a little bit more fun. about foam-tipped arrows for your uh, make-believe adventures? Um... So there's a company that pretty much sells nothing but foam-tipped arrows, and they are imported, which is, uh, I'm not sure how relevant this fact is in this, uh, in this story, but some other company that does, like, a little bit more broader recreational archery products and services, uh, noticed that their customers had been getting contacted by this other foam-tip arrow-only company. So, never minding the fact that these arrows are actually manufactured overseas, they decided to pursue patent litigation against them. Uh, what makes this kind of stick out is that this company tried to get the other company to not talk about this lawsuit, but apparently that didn't work out, and the guy's like, hey, uh, I need to do a crowdfunding campaign to defend against this lawsuit. And so it's totally not as hush. Yeah. So the thing that confused me a little bit. Another thing. So the main point of this is that Newegg, uh, the company that uh, you know will not bow down and settle to patent trolls, has decided to get in on this action. And they're selling really awesome T-shirts with yes. the slogans. So let's, where's it at? There's a good good slogan there. There's two... I think it was the first slogan was really good. Yeah, like, uh, don't feed the trolls. Yes, something about don't feed the trolls, fight them, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, another one is, uh, uh, we see you trolling, we hating. And then uh, I saw there was another quote here was talking about uh, Newegg referencing the other company, and the guy says, make sure lawyer is super happy. They have bills to pay, too. He was <laughs> discussing how it's going to cost this other company a lot of money to pro- proceed now and fight them now that they're actually going to fight back. Yes. So anyways, uh, one thing that kind of confused me a little bit about this, the exact patent, are they talking about going and talking to customers that they have and trying to steal customers, or is the patent over phone-tipped t- phone arrows? I'm pretty sure it's about the arrows okay, and not the solicitation. I, I was big confused. Although, big. I, although I'm pretty sure that they're more angry over the solicitation than the arrows. That would seem to make sense. Yes. So, 
a uh, let's see. I'm not sure how to describe this. A uh, individual who's very concerned about security, uh, who always runs Linux, uh, needed as a court as a course of his uh, professional life, uh, needed to uh, install a SDK from a very large twenty billion dollar hardware vendor, and need to needed to install their SDK, which only works on Windows. Uh, so. He describes the process of installing this thing, and the first dialog box that comes up says, We've detected you've got antivirus running. You should disable this in order to run our tools. Are you sure you want to continue? Yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, so, continue. I said, We've detected that you've got antivirus, and you really needed to disable it. Waiting for antivirus to be disabled. I really love how there's like two layers of messages here. The first one's kind of like a suggestion. You probably should disable it. The second one says like, you seriously, must. disable it. Oh, no go. At which point, Windows goes into about DEFCON 2, starts screaming about the imminent collapse of civilization. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Somebody's touching me! <laughs> So, the installation starts, except that it won't install into program files because that has, you know, security applied to it. It wants to create its own public directory off of the root and install to that. Uh, and meanwhile, I'm not sure how he gets this. Maybe he has Wireshark running. But he notices that this installation program goes off to a, a few dozen URLs, uh, HTTP, unsecured URLs, downloads binary files from them, and runs them. Uh, he's tried setting up a tunnel to an HTTPS equivalent, but apparently uh, that's not possible. And, uh, okay, the installation's done, but the adventure is still not over. The application starts, and it requests elevation to administrator. Then it starts grabbing more binaries from unsecured URLs and installs them, too. And he wonders, you know, you know, this is why we have Stuxnet, you know, because we're not doing anything securely. And I'm trying to think, is Stuxnet, is that the... It's the virus that spread on USB keys that kind of destroyed Iran's nuclear program. Oh, that thing. Yeah, from like 10 years ago. Yes. So, uh, yeah, just food for thought there. But, uh, you know, suddenly things are starting to change because Let's Encrypt has issued over one million certificates. So I remember one or two podcasts ago we had just talked about Let's Encrypt and how massive its market share was uh, compared to when it started. What was it at that time when we were looking at it? Do you recall? I think it was like 10%. Do you recall the number of certificates at the time? It was pretty close to a million because I think this happened like a week or two after. I see the day is March 8th. Okay. So uh, if you've ever wondered what a hockey stick graph looks like, this is one of those. It is. And if you listening don't know what it is, go and look at this article on the EFF.org. You can see that for a while it goes horizontal, then starts going way up. So uh, let's talk about the Apple, the Apple and the FBI. So the FBI wants to compel Apple to create source code to unlock an iPhone. 
we know that source code is protected speech and is therefore free speech as one in the first crypto war in the 1990s. Remember how, uh, you know, the big key uh, hiding machine? Yes, I remember he uh, published the big key hiding machine in a book and sent it to various friends in other countries. Yes, and because you can't exactly take a book away from someone or, you know, like, outlaw a book, it kind of means it's free speech. Yes. So, uh, that's, you know, one line of defense, because the government cannot compel someone, to, you know, to make speech that they don't want to make. You know, that's essentially, uh, like the Fifth Amendment. Yes. And I think there might also be, like, some, uh, arguments related to, like, coercion and, like, torture and stuff. But, you know, essentially, you know, if you're in a courtroom, or maybe not, not quite a courtroom, but, you know, other places too, you know, like, you cannot be compelled to say something, you know, you know, that you do not really want to. There's another line of defense in a law co called CALA. The Communications Assistance for Law Enforcement Act says that the government cannot compel telecommunications operators and carriers to build features into their equipment. So, you know, in other words, by, you know, you know, the FBI saying you must, you know, you know, how should I say, eliminate this feature, you know, the, uh, you know, the unlock limit, you know, the FBI being a part of the government, they can't exactly do this, you know, and even though Apple is not exactly a traditional telephone carrier, mm -hmm. they provide the equipment. This is true. And... I guess in some ways, you know, the classification could be extended to equipment manufacturers. I see. So they're trying to do that angle as well. Yeah. So, uh, which I think these two arguments are fairly strong. I, I think especially the first one is strong because what it boils down to doing is not the Apple has something the government wants to see that Apple's hiding. It's the government wants Apple to actively initiate and do something. Yeah. And that's kind of like a core foundational thing of, I mean, they make you do your taxes or get taxes, but beyond that, really, the government doesn't make you do things with the exception of, like, maybe going to war or something, like draft, things like that. Or jury duty. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's like they're basically turning them into a slave, right? Because they, if they order Apple to do this, I, the government's probably not giving Apple money to pay their engineers to write the code anyways, but that's kind of a mute point still, is the choice to not do something if you don't want to do something. Yeah. So let's just say that uh, the FBI wins the argument and uh, the warrant against Apple actually goes through. The requisite engineers that would have to make the backdoor would just quit. That that does seem likely. And another article pointed out the uh, uh, what's the name of the email service with the Snowden article. The one we're going to lava that, bit. Yeah, lava bit. It referenced that, and here's some place saying that that attitude, that mentality of you can't make me, I'll quit, is probably there in the industry. And by being a public thing, the eyes of the world are on them. And like you said, people will applaud them for it. And 
Would they have a problem getting a job? Probably not. Someone's you know, these, gonna feel bad for them. You know, these would have to be, you know, people that are well versed in security and cryptography and, you know, like kind of well experienced in software engineering. They're, they're smart people and they won't have to look for a job probably if they quit because of this. Yeah. Everyone's gonna know who it was who quit. And they're probably going to have offers at the time of them quitting. They probably have multiple offers yeah. on the table for them. They probably have multiple offers right now. That's probably true as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, the FBI, you know, if anything else, thinks that they can just force Apple to simply hand over the source code to iOS. See, this one, scary enough, is the one I think actually could maybe work from the government's point of view is so this is something apple has that's a secret it's a thing and i guess from that perspective there's a lot of it seems to me anyways of the government well if you have something we're allowed to peek and see what it is there seems to be a lot of that going on this feels like something they might actually be able to succeed in doing which is bad because now they can maybe write their own code for it but it's still going to be a challenge for them but it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. So one interesting thing, this kind of is the previous one, someplace in here I was reading, uh, it was saying too, uh, if the uh, engineers, uh, instead of quitting, if they, like, say, refuse or something, they may impose uh, a penalty on Apple. So it seemed like they were saying that it's better for the engineers, if they don't want to do it, it's better basically for them to just quit. Yeah. Because it could cost in other ways if they stall or something. Yeah. Although... I'm not exactly sure, but it's completely likely that uh, the fine against Apple would be less than their revenue. That could very well be true. <laughs> because Apple has, like, the most money of any company in the world or something. Or, like, pretty well close to it. So, and then another thing that came up, like, two days ago is that the FBI thinks that uh, it might have some other way of getting into that iPhone without going through Apple. Um, so I believe it was the uh, like some sort of court filing today that the FBI requested a uh, like a stay of the motion or something that essentially delays like the challenge against it because the FBI said it has like some sort of alternative way of breaking into the phone. So they need to legally pursue this way before they can come back to Apple and say, you are our only way. Yeah. So one interesting thing about this, as soon as I read it, the thing that came to my mind is the government's running. They're, they brought this to light, as we said, hoping that people would be on their side. Typically, they do these things in secret, like with Yahoo and such. It's all hush-hush. This time, they brought it to light. But now it's backfired. It's <laughs> been really bad because I've even heard it in Congress, like, most everyone is opposed to this. I, we did an article, was last time, about that. And okay, okay, when you say opposed, what does that exactly mean? Opposed to Apple building the software for the FBI. So, in other words, pro-Apple, pro-encryption. Pro-Apple, pro-encryption, yes. And, oh, now I lost the point of the article in my train of thought. Uh, okay, carry on. <laughs> well, you were saying about how the FBI had lost the uh, public battle? Yes, they lost the public battle, and so now it's almost like, oh, I guess we do maybe have another way. We'll just kind of take a look at this and see if maybe we can get it. So this other way, maybe it's a legit way, and they kind of already had it, and it just conveniently showed up at the right time, and they figured, 
I'll fight the battle another day rather than lose it. That could be a train of thought there. I just kind of so another another thing is that the Department of Justice is also worried about the All Writs Act, which is you know what this uh, motion is based on. If that gets declared inco- unconstitutional, like there goes like their major you know how should I say like their most used weapon of law enforcement, or at least one of their more important ones anyway. That was the one you explained to me earlier that anything they can produce, they must produce or something like that? Yeah, something like that. It's like one of the shortest laws I've ever come across. You know, it's, you know, like maybe a hundred words or something. And I'm like, there's got to be more than this. (laughs) But apparently 220 years ago, that's how laws were written. They didn't actually uh, do other things in laws than the things that the laws were made for. Uh, who who would have thought about that? So uh, you mentioned that uh, lava bit there about uh, lava bit shutting down. Yes, I did. Apparently, no, it's official that it was uh, linked to Snowden. Uh, the yeah, guy... ever you know we we were you know pretty much you know we knew that you know lava bit shut down because it was the service that Mister Snowden used to email out all this classified information to all the journalists, but now the government has actually confirmed, yes, that is the case. So interesting enough, why would the government care? I'm, I'm just side-thinking here. Care about the journalists? Or is it he's think, they're thinking probably his other communications to other people? That's probably the reason. Yeah, um, but you know, generally when you know, a warrant is issued... You know, the government does not want to tip off the target of the warrant, you know, such that they might go and destroy all of their things before they have a chance to get to it. Yes. But, you know, at this point, you know, LavaBit, you know, actually received this, you know, and shut down immediately without so, doing anything else. And so now it's a mute point. And he's, it sounds like from the article, he's tried very hard for the past, uh, what, years? Two, and, three years or yes, so? To make this be open and now the government has just released the paper and accidentally left the email address on it yes accidentally Oops. oh well thank you so I see that you actually went out and found an article about uh... yes uh, you mentioned yeah, apparently the Forbes website has a word it, that is the right link you just have to let it load and then click like continue to article anyways uh, so we referenced at the beginning of the show about how uh, there's been rumors of Windows 7 and 8 uh, automatically upgrading, so I googled it quick and found this article from Forbes, and apparently they were saying that this guy, uh, he's been hearing from a lot of different people that say that uh, uh, people have restarted the computer and found Windows 10 installing, or they see in their Windows update history that Windows 10 tries repeatedly to install and fails without permission over and over again. Uh, so I'm still scanning through the article here. Fix. So apparently Microsoft says it was a bug. So a bug <laughs> made it update. Whoops. Uh, water problem. Microsoft is crying roof. Uh, so apparently in an upgrade, they, they ticked the upgrade to Windows 10 box automatically for them. So they, they just ticked the box and like, hey, install this update. Just click OK and it happens, I guess. Uh, looks like uh, I might be upgrading pretty soon because did not Windows 10 come out last July? Uh, it says the free upgrade period ended in July 
2016, I, which I assume you're Yeah, and it is almost April, so I need to get on that. So, and I think it's, you know, a good enough time for, you know, everything to settle down in order for the next version of Windows to become stable, you know, to actually uh, upgrade to it. Still, I'm not sure if I'll actually update my uh, desktop, because I still, I don't know. I mean, it's obviously just what's happening, but I'm not sure if I totally trust Microsoft just yet, because it's, it's been a fishy thing. It's been very an odd direction for Microsoft to take, but just purely on that level, there still was all the security things in 10, which you can turn off. Yeah, and then there is, like, some of that telemetry, uh, like the, you know, the phoning home features that, uh, like, you can't exactly turn off, but I have configured my router to block all of those hosts and domains. So at least it helps a little bit with the phoning home deal. Yeah, so... um, Apparently, that's been backported to 8 and 7. So, um, yeah, Microsoft probably has not been getting any kind of telemetry or phoning home from my system. And apparently, my Windows installation doesn't care at all. I'm waiting for this whole Steam thing to kind of catch on the rest of the way, and then I can just all the time Linux. On the plus side, apparently Linux is a great way to design your own uh, PCB boards, which I have lately been taking to doing. Did I tell you about the race car tracker thing and other feats another time? Okay, yes, but let's take a step back. What do you mean by Linux is good at designing PCBs? Uh... Well, there's this program in Linux called PCB, uh, and so it's just free, and you just install it Okay, quickly. so some other words, an application an on application Linux. An application on Linux. But the application seems pretty decent, and uh, albeit it's free, and which yeah, means so. maybe not the best support or documentation, but hey, there's a price for being free. You just so. got to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> so... So it's an application on Linux that makes it really easy to design PCBs. An application on Linux. Not exactly Linux itself. Not exactly Linux itself, but by the design patterns of Linux, it was easy to install, it was easy to find. And I didn't have to use Windows Store, and Windows doesn't know about me installing the app or anything like that. And uh, uh, something else about that, you know, it's not phoning home... And it's not downloading unsigned binaries and running them. Uh, although it is probably running it in root to at least install it. Uh, yeah, I do use APT to install with the root powers, which uh, hopefully you trust that Ubuntu has authorized the programs in its uh, repositories to not be too nasty. But of course, the possibility always exists for malicious stuff. Uh, but anyways... To the PCB board things, uh, did I, I told you last time, I think, about what I was doing for the race cars and the sensors and stuff? Yes, yes. about, you know, that little car is just going downhill. Exactly. And uh, so we did that. Didn't quite exactly make it all work in time, uh, but a lot of wires with that and uh, faulty connections and things. And so I've been thinking that a long-term goal would be to make a nice handy-dandy PCB board that would handle my parallel to serial transversion, conversion, there we go, not transversion, conversion, 
And so I've been trying to design one the past few days, uh, that PCB program, and there's another program that made a schematic and then putting that into it. So I'm learning about that, and uh, I've been doing the other side of the research for making your own. Apparently, you can use a laser printer, print it out onto either a transparency, or you can print it onto, like, a glossy photo paper. You can take the glossy photo paper and actually, like, iron it onto a copper-plated board, and then uh, you can uh, soak it in some acid and eat it away, and you have your traces on it. Or you can use the light method with a transparency, shine like light through a photosensitive board, then develop it somehow, and then do some more etching stuff, and it eats it away. So anyway, it's been learning about that. It sounds really fun. And so I ordered some uh, blank PCB boards from China and, and expect to get them within the next two months, because it's from China. So isn't PCB board... A little redundant. Uh, it is. It <laughs> is. Just like the ATM machine is. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know about that because I've never used an ATM before. You've never used an ATM. Yeah. Um, because I use Walmart as an ATM. Because you get cash back. Yes. Okay, fair enough. And if I need more, I'll go in and talk to the bank person and like, Ken has $100, please. Ken has $100, please. And they give you it in the bag with some dye in it and some oddly, oddly sequential serial numbers. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, I obviously identify myself oh. to the bank okay, and say, I would like $100 of my own money, please. Our <laughs> first thing with identify, that's starting to sound like one of those people that rob a bank by writing uh, the bank robbery note on the back of their deposit slip with their account number. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is a stick-up. Don't read the other side of the paper. (laughs) So, um, meanwhile, I've been uh, doing some interesting things. So, uh, let's see, you remember how I was building my prayer website? Uh, I remember you saying you had one. Yeah, So one of the features on there was essentially you can just go on there and read the Bible. Okay. So, like, instead of going through, like, any of these, like, Bible apps on my phone, uh, what I have done, like, several months ago is generate an HTML file for every single book in the Bible. Okay. So you just pre-rendered every every, uh, book? Yeah. And then put it all in a folder, put put the folder onto my phone. And now I have the Bible on my phone. Yes. The thing of it is, is that, you know, it's, you know, I'm not sure how many hundreds of files. uh, And the navigation kind of sucks. I could see that. So, like, if I want to jump directly to another book, I have to scroll all the way down to the bottom, which has the list of books. And then, you know, I just press it, you know, to there. Uh, Whereas the chapters, I have a neat little drop down at at the top. Okay, so what I decided to do is, you know, take at least on, you know, the mobile view, the mobile responsive view, uh, take away the list at the bottom and have the uh, book name at the top be in a drop down. Did you use a hamburger menu? I did not use a hamburger menu. Oh, I got all excited there. Because I kind of think that those suck. (laughs) That's why I asked. So... Uh, what I have done instead, or at least my idea, is to put the Bible into an RSS feed and have that download uh, to like be 
uh, in an offline cache and then just have an HTML file with a bunch of JavaScript that essentially iterates through that RSS feed as needed. So you download the entire feed and then your JavaScript just transverses it and translates it as you go. Exactly. So then you don't need to pre-generate all the HTML and so you generate it on the fly. Pretty much. Sounds like a neat idea. So uh, there's uh, the old way of doing this and the new way of doing this. So the new way of doing this is called service workers. And what it is is, is, is essentially you know, just a JavaScript file that runs in the background. And it generally has uh, like governance over the entire domain of pages. So in other words, the andrewbailey.com, it could manage all the pages for that site offline. Okay. Uh, the old way of doing it is called, well, ironically, the application cache, which apparently Firefox wants to deprecate really bad. But the advantage is, is that it has good compatibility. Like, even Internet Explorer 10 supports this. Which is impressive. Yes. And Mozilla is like, no, 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 you don't want to use this anymore. And I'm like, you jerks. <laughs> you hipster developers and your service workers. I'm not going to go along with this just yet. So I am using the uh, application cache for this because it seems to be like a simpler model of doing things. Like, I really don't care that it's deprecated. Like, blink tags and marquee tags were technically deprecated like 20 years ago, but browsers still support them. It's true. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, you're threatening to remove this, but I don't think you're actually going to. And that is true, but the web is people, it's a loose standard, but it is often supports way more than it's supposed to support. Like you can really malform a web page and lots of times many web browsers will still render it, even though you're missing tags or ending tags. They're like, oh, you forgot that one. We'll just stick one in for you. It's no problem. We got you back. So why do things not work here? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to do that, and uh, I think I got the main logic correct, but it's just, uh, you know, just putting in the rest of the navigation, because I have, like, previous and next buttons okay. along with those drop-downs. So, uh, and I also want to uh, make sure that the forward and back buttons work correctly. And that's always good to have. So, so you're going to have like a uh, concept. I'm, I'm not f too familiar with the app cache, but a way to save like your spot or something. Uh, essentially, what you do is you go to the URL and you bookmark it. Okay. So you just have to remember to bookmark it when you're done reading every time. Well, I think the bookmark is just, you know, the browser knows, hey, this can be cached for offline use. And okay. I'm not exactly sure if it prompts you or just does it automatically. So, like, if you go back to that page when you're offline, it'll just work. Oh, I see. So it requires you to bookmark it. And then well, it's I'm not even sure if it requires you to do that. Just, like, return to the page. You know, bookmarking is a pretty easy way to get back to a page. It's true. So, um, yeah. Very nice. So, uh, you know, maybe I will be uh, doing that because, like, on Thursdays when I go to church... I just bring my phone. 
Okay, and you use your app and test it out? Yeah. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm going to be dog-fooding my own thing. That's the best way to test something is to dog-food it. So, um, and with that, uh, I guess that's it. We have no feedback yet. Despite uh, the many listeners. Despite the many listeners. So, uh, and don't forget that today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your application cash. So, um, yeah, meanwhile, uh, my dining room is still full of unpacked boxes. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll be cleaning those up soon. But then the weather is starting to turn nice, and I'm in a neighborhood with sidewalks now. I saw that you have all these nice brick roads back in there and fancy brick houses, you know, stone-like houses. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, nice streets up and down that look like nice to walk on and such. Yes. So, like, I was pretty impressed with coming up here the first time to walk through this place. It was like, oh, man, this is really upper class here. And then you, you know, go one block that's not as nice, but still fairly nice. So, um, uh, along with, you know, walking around the neighborhood, uh, I want to get that monthly pass for the tea so I can walk around other neighborhoods too. There you go. And, uh, you know, hopefully get in the habit of riding the tea to work and back so I can get like 45 minutes of walking in each day I do that. That would be good because, uh, our... Our uh, occupation is not exactly a good exercise occupation. And plus, I'm eating all this meat off of my grill. (laughs) (laughs) So in other news, the weight loss competition at work, apparently I gained five pounds. (laughs) I was two pounds away from my ideal weight. (laughs) Then I gained five. Wow. I know. Yay for weight loss. (laughs) so, So me speaking of the grill and you speaking of competition... That reminds me of what I'm doing at work, or at least what I was doing at work over the past two weeks, which, uh, like, you know, like, the March Madness and, like, uh, brackets, you know, like, how mm-hmm. that works? Yep. So, like, there's, like, rounds of games, and, like, the winners go on to fight other winners and stuff. So, uh, Traeger, uh, one of my company's clients, is currently holding a Meat Madness competition. So... You know, it's essentially, you know, people, you know, have gone on and submitted recipes uh, and people vote for them later. So for about three or four days, I was writing code that would count votes, determine winners and create new games and rounds based off of the winners. Nice. That sounds like a really fun project. It was. And I kind of enjoyed doing it. So, uh... Uh, you did uh, fix it up so that when you cast your votes, you have favorable results, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, people have found ways to exploit the system. So, uh, not least of which my co-workers. <laughs> so, what type of ways uh, do they exploit the system? Um, well, in the words of one of the competitors, there's this browser called Incognito. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, so we implemented some sort of uh, rate-limiting system that works, like, per IP. Okay, which makes sense. Uh, so, like, you can only have so many sessions per IP and per yes. round. So, um, then, let's see, like, it was Friday evening 
that it was the end of round one. So here I am at like 11 p.m., roughly, just before, you know, watching the round close. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't vote anymore. Okay. And then one minute later, the job runs to, like, count everything and, you know, create the new uh, games. And then watch, magically, new games appear on the on the bracket. Um, so, like, if there's a tie, it's pretty well logged, you know, what it is, what the competitors were, and what game could not be created uh, because of that. So you can go in to the logs and say, or at least read... Okay, we need to decide a winner between these two, and uh, you know, go ahead and do that and create the new round, or at least the new game manually. Uh, so then it goes on, and then Sunday evening uh, was the end of round two, and then everything went off perfectly fine. So um, yeah, sounds like a fun thing. It's always fun when you can get to see your code kind of working in the yes. wild and actually see it having done something useful and actually worked. Yes. You know, like it was like, I want to say like a year or so ago, that I figured out what motivated me was things that work. Yes, that is, that's the original uh, argument for unit testing I've heard. Uh, Except it's the instant gratification. Well, except I heard that when you unit test, like your first unit test, you should make it fail. (laughs) <laughs> what a bummer, man. Oh, I'm a terrible programmer. So, um... Oh, my test always found. Like, it's more of a philosophy of an engineer that, you know, what inspires you is working things. And when things don't work, it bums you out so much. So, my the one co-worker at work, uh, uh, good quote from him, uh, to fix the failing unit test is he goes something like this, I fixed all the failing unit tests and I'm like, how did you do it? He's like, I deleted them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's fixed. Uh, so, uh, I guess uh, thank you for joining us in this uh, philosophy hour. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and I guess with that, uh, I'm Andrew Bailey. Have a good one. Have a good one. Thank you.